Hello and welcome to another episode of the American Sheep Industry Association's Research Update. I'm your host, Jake Thorne. While the U.S. sheep industry is incredibly diverse, one thing that producers across the country can agree on is the foundation of a productive flock is having healthy animals. It seems that successful shepherds are lifelong learners when it comes to identifying health-related issues and applying the newest strategies in prevention. Now, most anyone that has been around sheep is going to have some level of familiarity with this month's topic. Coccidiosis is widespread in North America and is one of the usual suspects when sheep performance declines and death occurs on the farm, especially this time of year. We've actually recruited back a speaker from one of our most popular previous episodes, Dr. Rosie Bush, a DVM with UC Cooperative Extension who specializes in small ruminant health, to give us the latest information on treatment and prevention updates for this prevalent parasite. Dr. Bush, thanks for joining us again. Thanks, Jake. It's so great to be back. I'm excited to be here. Great. So, Dr. Bush, let's dive right in. What defines the condition coccidiosis, and how does that differ from just a lamb that has coccidia? That's a great place to start, Jake. Um, so every sheep in the world, probably, yeah. <laughs> is going to have some level of coccidia in their manure. So coccidiosis is when those parasites are actually causing disease. Um, and that disease can be because the parasite is damaging the GI tract or the small intestines, um, or it can be because the body itself is reacting to those parasites being there and has a really strong immune response, which is, again, causing damage to the intestine. So coccidiosis, um, we'll see signs like diarrhea. We'll see um, they'll go off feed because they don't feel good. <laughs> um, they'll have abdominal pain. So you'll see their abdomens are kind of tense and their back has a bit of an arch to them. Um, and then you can see they're straining to defecate. The most common sign that you'll notice is diarrhea. Um, in some countries, they call it DAGS, which is basically the fecal staining um, on the wool of the back legs. Sure. So I'm, diarrhea, um, obviously a, a telltale sign of, of coccidiosis, but it's also a, a sign of a lot of conditions. Is there something that's very conclusive or um, something that we can do that really differentiates coccidiosis from other conditions? Sure. So one of the main things is the animal's age. So if you're seeing diarrhea in lambs that are, you know, between one and four weeks of age, it's most likely that diarrhea is caused by a bacteria, a virus, or other like nutritional issues. Okay. Um, so coccidia typically infects lambs or causes disease, coccidiosis, in lambs when they're between two and five months of age. And that's usually related to you know, declining maternal antibodies, um, things like weaning, uh, changing in their nutrition or their environments all have impacts into whether or not we see this disease. Okay. And so what level of financial damage does coccidia or coccidiosis really do to the U.S. sheep industry? You know, that's a really challenging question to answer. I've, I looked that up because I know we've talked about this before, and I don't know if you found something really enlightening. But <laughs> it's big, right? <laughs> it's big, yeah. yeah. So just coccidiosis, you know, that's when we're seeing the diarrhea and the death losses. Mm -hmm. That's a huge economic cost. 
The subclinical coccidiosis is when you don't really have diarrhea, but it impacts growth performance. Mm -hmm. And that's a really challenging thing to measure. So as far as economic losses, it's going to be even bigger than what we can probably even speculate. Sure. So how about region specific? Is is coccidiosis a bigger problem in some areas than, than others in the U.S.? Yes, it is. So coccidiosis is definitely a global problem. Um, It's the parasite itself survives better in humid, warm environments. So it can't survive temperatures lower than 22 degrees Fahrenheit. That said, if you're living in an area that gets that cold, it's very likely that you're keeping you know, keeping your sheep indoors. And so then the parasite can survive those environments. So coccidiosis is a pretty widespread problem. Sure, absolutely. So you mentioned some of the clinical signs, diarrhea, you know, poor performance, even death. But, um, you know, maybe one thing that we commonly identify or a tool we use to commonly identify parasite problems is a fecal egg count. Uh, Can that be used to identify the prevalence of coccidia in the feces sample of a lamb? It can. So if you're seeing clinical signs, a sample to test for coccidia can help confirm that that's what's causing disease. Um, But like we mentioned, you can also see coccidia in feces of clinically normal animals. So you kind of need both sides of the story to, you know, pull that picture together. Another challenging part is that oftentimes coccidiosis, you'll see it happen when you have other problems emerging. So whether that's, you know, nematode parasites, um, maybe we have an issue with our nutrition at the moment, we got some bad hay or something, then you'll start seeing more coccidia. So coccidia might be the problem that you're seeing clinically and with, you know, that fecal diagnosis. Um, But there may be more to the story. So always good to kind of take a step back, take all the information. But yeah, I do believe that fecal test can really help kind of at least fill in the pieces of the puzzle there. Sure. And so just talking with you earlier, uh, one of the things or the, the troubles with fecal uh, egg counts in, in coccidia is that coccidia is really just a broad name for uh, several different species of, of parasite and not all the eggs look exactly the same. Um, so can you, I, w- I want to ask you to explain a little more about maybe some of the research you have planned for species identification and also along the lines of, you know, do all species affect lambs the same? Yeah, that's great. So um, coccidia, like you said, it is a very, it's basically a class of parasites. Um, And one of the nice things about coccidia is it's actually species specific. So goat coccidia is different from sheep coccidia. And there are about 15 to 16 different species that have been documented to affect sheep. Um, but about four or five of those actually cause disease. So, you know, there's different reasons for that. Maybe they don't cause as bad of an immune response. So the disease, you know, while even though they have that coccidia there, you're not seeing the damage to the gut, even though they're able to replicate in the gut. Um, And so 
basically, even if you were to just do a fecal egg count, you could see eggs there, but that doesn't mean that those are causing disease. Um, so what we're hoping to do is, you know, add to the literature. Um, there's been, I believe, some studies in Mexico and Brazil that have looked at using PCR to identify the species with um, molecular diagnostic technologies. And so we're hoping to develop that here um, so that we can offer that to kind of, again, add to that clinical picture and then hopefully use it as a tool to learn a bit more about the ecology of the different species within the gut. Sure. That's really, really interesting. Now, um, you know, maybe for some of our listeners who have never heard the term PCR before COVID-19 hit, uh, (laughs) could you just briefly explain a little bit about what that does? Yeah, so it'll be basically detecting the genetic differences between, so polymerase chain reaction is what PCR stands for. And it's not looking at the whole genome. It's just looking at segments that we know are going to be different between those species. So it should be, so when they were looking to identify the different coccidia species based on their shape and size and all these different factors that took a lot of time and a lot of expertise. Um, And so with PCR, pretty much anyone can run a PCR who has that technology in their lab um, and it's really fast. So there'd be some pluses there. (laughs) That's going to be really interesting. I'm I'm really going to be excited for, for watching what you guys get out of that. That's be great. Uh, So you talked about, you know, coccidia residing in in the intestine of the animal, but I want to ask you uh, a little more specifics on that. You know, inside the GI tract uh, of the animal, what exactly is is happening during a coccidiosis infection? This is where I get to nerd out a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so let's say a lamb is in just happens to ingest, is in a very low contaminated pasture, happens to ingest one, they're called oocysts, but basically an egg of coccidia. That egg, after it's been in the environment for two to seven days, depending on temperature, will go through a process where it basically develops so it becomes infective. And in that egg, it basically divides into like eight different parts. So those portion of the life cycle will emerge from the egg in the GI tract because the egg gets digested and they enter cells of the GI tract in the small intestine. And so each species of coccidia will enter different cells, whether it's in the villus or the crypt of the intestine. And then they basically replicate in those cells and then they emerge. And by emerging, they bust out of the cells. And so that's where you get a lot of damage to the GI tract. And then they go into a second stage in the intestine and infect more cells. And so you get this incredible amount of amplification just from one egg in, it takes, it's called the prepatent period, the time from when the egg is ingested to when you start seeing eggs passed in the feces. So that completion of its life cycle within the host is about two to three weeks, depending on the species of coccidia that's in there. Okay. So pretty quick. Pretty quick and amazing how much damage they can do. And depending, so some species you'll have all of that damage occur before you even start seeing eggs. So. Well, yeah, yeah, that was going to be my (laughs) question. Uh, You know, uh, 
what are the, the issues with subclinical infection? So if we're not seeing the diarrhea or we're not seeing the severe weight loss, you know, is that, is, are the, is the, the parasite life cycle still the same and the damage still the same? It's just not quite as bad? Is that the scenario? Yeah, so one of the nice things is that ruminants, sheep will form immunity to these parasites. So this parasite has an intracellular phase that we talk about where they infect the cells, but it also has a phase where it's just free living in the middle of the gut. And so the immune system, as we know, like you make antibodies. Mm -hmm. So that part of the immune system will affect the parasite. And then there's also cellular immunity that'll affect the parasite when it's in the cells of the gut. And so kind of that subclinical, just constantly being exposed to these parasites is almost like a natural booster. So they're continuously maintaining their immunity. Um, And why we see it most commonly in lambs is because, you know, they've never, even if they've been exposed to it, the maternal antibodies have been helping keep that clinical infection at bay. And then they kind of have to develop their own immunity. And in order for them to develop an immunity before we see disease, they're going to need to be exposed to low levels of it so they can actually deal with that. Right. That's really interesting. Thank you. Okay, so before we talk about prevention, let's just jump right to the end and discuss a little bit about treatment uh, before we go any further. Uh, You know, what are your recommendations to producers as to the first steps they should take when they suspect coccidiosis? Yeah, so, you know, I think one of the big things is, I mean, treatment is going to be really necessary here. These especially lambs that are really young and it takes them a long time to recover from this parasite or they can have chronic infections, really getting in there and applying a treatment that's going to cut that life cycle or at least allow their immune system to respond is going to be super important. Um, So there are a number of drugs that are actually labeled for coccidiosis um, they're, it's pretty limited. So there are the sulfas like sulfadimethoxine or that's, um, Albon. And then there's Emprolium, which is Corid. So there, you know, those are kind of our old school drugs. There's some newer ones that I'm actually embarrassed. I'm not even sure that Baycox is labeled in the country. <laughs> is it labeled for, uh, I'm not sure. Oh yeah. I don't think it is. Um, It's labeled in other countries for coccidiosis. Um, It's available here because it's a drug that is used in dogs. Um, So one of the challenges is for extra-labeled drug use, legally you're supposed to use the drugs that are labeled um, for this condition. And so unless that there's evidence that those drugs are no longer effective. And we have seen resistance to certain drugs. So, you know, that would be where it could be useful to work with a veterinarian and, you know, kind of, talk about treatment history and things that have gone on with the flock in the past and then discuss what treatment options might be um, legal and available for the flock. Sure. Uh, Another thing. Yeah, go go ahead. ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, no, that's okay. I was just going to add that another thing to think about is if you have a group of lambs and only some are showing signs, you might think about the age range within that group. So if it's the younger ones that are showing signs within this group of lambs, 
you might just split them off, focus on the younger ones, and chances are the older ones have already developed an immunity, and this is why the younger ones have it, because they've, the older ones were shedding it. So, but on the flip side, if the older ones are the ones that have this, really important to treat the young ones, because chances are they're going to emerge with coccidiosis in no time. Uh, that was going to be my exact question. So perfect. I, I well, there we go. About mass <laughs> treatment um, and maybe along the lines too of, of if that can cause um, some resistance issues. If, if treating animals that aren't showing the signs is always a, a good or bad idea. But I think you, you really, uh, you know, age is, is a great. Uh, yeah, it's going to depend on the situation. Right. So yeah, being able to yep. kind of work through that is a good idea. Okay. Uh, now, you, you touched on it just briefly, um, new treatments or, or new products that may be coming available. Are you aware of any or any research into the area of, of new treatments? And, um, you know, is there any information along those lines? So the new treatments that I know of um, are like, I don't know how new they are anymore, but um, the VCOX and the Marquee, those are not as widely used in the U.S. because, again, they're not labeled for small ruminants in the U.S., but they are being used quite a bit in Europe and other countries. Um, just something to note about those is that they are seeing quite a bit of resistance to those emerge. Um, so, you know, if we are going to, at some point, be allowed to use those, it would be really important to try to use those drugs strategically. Another thing that I think is really interesting, I haven't seen it, at least in the U.S. from our literature search, um, is vaccinations. So they are vaccinating for coccidia species in poultry. And they're in the U.S., the vaccines that are available for poultry are basically live coccidia species, and they're just giving them a controlled exposure. They're not weakened or attenuated at all. <laughs> so you can have secondary, you can have problems with that, right? Yeah, sure. Um, but, you know, we talked about how that first dose of infection is really important for whether or not they get an immunity or if they get this uncontrolled infection that you just have really bad um, outcomes. Sure. So that, those are the types of vaccines that are available for other species. And it would be interesting if something like that was to become available. I think that would be neat. Sure. And, and so controlling the coccidia or the coccidiosis uh, in a sheep is, is maybe only part of the story. What, what else needs to happen or what else should happen to get that animal back to full health? Yeah, that's a great. So we kind of touched on it earlier with how oftentimes you'll see co-infections with coccidiosis. Um, so making sure that, you know, their nutrition, especially when they're dealing with um, GI injury, that their nutrition is maybe not too hot at this point. Like you might want to back off on some of the grain that might be applied, um, but still really good quality nutrition because they need the energy and the protein to continue to fight and to recover. Um, and then also anything, I mean, there are a number of different kind of old school remedies or um, things that might help with gut health or um, 
you know, with diarrhea. So there's like the Pepto-Bismols and the milk of magnesia and things like that, that might help on an individual basis. Um, but really just good nutrition time dealing with any other secondary infections that might be there, whether that's, um, worms or even, um, Coccidiosis can make them more prone to clostridial diseases. So making sure that they're vaccinated um, for clostridial diseases, um, or if you're unsure, that antitoxin might be a good thing to have on hand as well. Sure, absolutely. But it sounds like probably the best bet is, is prevention as opposed to treatment if you can help it. And so what, you know, what are some general recommendations that you have for good practices to prevent a coccidia outbreak? The biggest thing is really going to be trying to minimize their exposure. Um, you're never going to rid the environment of coccidia, um, but the best that we can do is, you know, good hygienic practices. So if they're in barns, making sure that we're cleaning the bedding, making sure that it's dry um, because the parasite doesn't really do well in dry environments. It needs that moist environment. Um, and then with, you know, pasture rotations can help um, if we're in more extensive types of operations, because again, if they're allowed to dry out during the summer months, then maybe we won't have as much pasture contamination. Um, and then one of the things that can be really helpful is um, either making your lambing window smaller. So meaning if you have lambs within a three week period, the chances of them going from, you know, that coccidia parasite amplifying in that older lamb and affecting the younger lamb who's more susceptible is going to be smaller because they're so much closer in age. Now, if you have a really big lambing window, trying to keep those lamb groups separated by age as much as possible. Right. Okay. So one other thing that I know you have some really interesting information on is the species, farm animal species, specific strains of, of coccidia. You know, can, can coccidia be passed between, let's say, from poultry to livestock or different species of livestock? And, and you know, what should we be concerned with in that area? Yeah, that's such a great question. I've actually gotten similar questions recently, you know, concerns that grazing in pastures where chickens have been will give their lambs coccidia. And it's, you know, not at all the case. So chicken coccidia species are totally different from sheep coccidia. Um, and they can't that, you know, while a sheep might be able to pick up a coccidia from a chicken, it won't complete its life cycle in the sheep. So, you know, they might pass it through. Um, but actually one of the you know, re recorded benefits of co-species grazing is like, let's say, for example, you have sheep grazing and then the chickens will follow the sheep. Those coccidia parasites that are on the pasture will then be picked up by the chickens. And most of the, because the parasite can't complete its life cycle in the chicken, will either die in the chicken's digestive tract or it'll just be passed through back out onto the pasture. Um, you know, you've mentioned where, at, you know, sometimes they'll see that you'll have more cases of coccidiosis after birds have kind of 
been at the waterers or maybe they're contaminating feed sources. Um, and so one thing that might contribute to that is that birds certainly carry salmonella um, and that any kind of bacteria or anything that's going to alter that GI in, you know, microbial environment could basically make the environment a little bit better for coccidia. Um, so you might, you might, you truly be seeing more coccidia cases after birds have contaminated pastures or water, um, but not because they're getting coccidia from the birds per se. Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, my curiosity is, is piqued. Are the coccidia species that affect sheep, are those the same that affect goats or cattle? They're not. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so it's like the one disease that they don't all share. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Okay, so in the realm of, of genetic research and, and selection, animal selection, lots has been done to select sheep for resistance to Haemophagus contortus, which is a, another parasite that is certainly a, a big problem. Um, are you aware of genetic selection efforts for sheep that are more resistant to coccidiosis? I'm not aware of any intentional selection efforts, but I do know that, or have read that there are species of sheep that are far less susceptible to coccidia than others. So like merino sheep tend to be less susceptible to coccidia than others, which is really interesting. Um, and then, you know, St. Croix and those types of breeds that are kind of native to tropical areas tend to be less susceptible. Um, as far, you know, there's been concern that by selecting for one type of resistance that we might make them more susceptible. So let's say we're selecting for homunculus resistance. There is concern that they may become more susceptible to coccidiosis. Um, so something, you know, I think it would be something interesting to look at as, you know, we go forward with some more of this research to be able to tell, is there a marker for coccidia resistance? There's some give and take to everything, I, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned, you know, merino sheep or, or fine wool sheep and that are often a, a, a range type breed, if you may. Um, you know, is it a, is a breed difference or, or do you think it's an environmental difference that they just happen to be animals that are usually in, in larger pastures and not inside the barn? Um, and also in that same scenario, are, are there techniques to prevent coccidiosis that can occur out in, on the pasture? Yeah, so there are probably a number of factors for the merino. I think it would be, there's a lot of room for research to be done on what are the immunological factors that are causing their resistance to coccidiosis. So I don't have the answer for that. Sure. <laughs> but I have heard of people applying um, certain treatments to pasture to try to minimize the amount of pasture contamination to coccidiosis. I've not, I don't know of anyone who's doing them in real life. <laughs> so I know that there's, you know, I've read papers where they use um, liquid nitrogen because the parasite doesn't survive really cold temperatures, Imagine but that. then you kind of kill everything. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not sure how practical some of those approaches are. <laughs> but, Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you know, one question that, that I asked you last time we recorded, and it's something I like to do each month, is, is Dr. Bush, can you 
give us one takeaway that producers can take from our discussion today. You know, you've supplied us with a tremendous amount of scientific information, uh, but what is something that you'd really like to keep in the minds of producers as they listen to this podcast this month? Yeah, the, I, I guess coccidiosis is going to be part of this picture until we learn more about its role in these kind of co-infections and um, other conditions. I think, you know, it's important to take a step back and look at that picture and come up with a prevention or control plan that makes sense for you. Um, and I think there are a number of folks that can help with that. I know extension is really useful and, um, and then your veterinarian as well. So yeah, hopefully nice these. Plug right there <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Well, great. Thank you very much. Dr. Bush, as we wrap up, uh, I, again, I, I want to thank you um, for the great advice, very scientific, but also very practical point of view, which is really important. And, and so I really appreciate that. Uh, thanks for spending your morning with us. Yeah. Thanks so much. It was my pleasure. Sure. Take care, Jake. Sure. So for you listeners, uh, you know, we really enjoy attending your playlist each month and it's not lost on us that without you continuing to listen, this podcast wouldn't be uh, necessarily possible. So we want to reiterate our appreciation uh, for you, all of you as well. Now, rest assured, we'll be back in May, um, but until then, eat lamb, wear wool and, and happy barn cleaning. It's no one's favorite chore, but healthy sheep will be your reward. Have a great day.